are listening to Tech Reads, interviews with emerging technology thought leaders. Our sponsor is SoftTech, the premier technology trade association that has been serving Northern Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo County since 1997. Our mission is to create soft tech moments where people connect, explore ideas, and create new business opportunities. Learn more at softec.org. Hello, this is Brian Schwartz with Tech Reads. I'm here with Bob DeMuscio, and we are fortunate to have Joel Garfinkel with us today, but I wanted to just give a shout out to our sponsors, uh, Santa Maria Chamber of Commerce and the City of San Luis Obispo Chamber of Commerce are two of our platinum partners, our t- top tier sponsors. So we're very appreciative to them for the support that they give us and um, make this all possible. So with that, I I just wanted to share that Joel and I actually went to high school together. So it's been many years since uh, he, he and I connected. Uh, I don't know if you were even at the... Were you at the reunion, our 30-year reunion? I was not, yeah. Okay, so I missed him there. And uh, don't worry, you didn't miss much. <laughs> kind of regretted going, but it is what it we, is. We could do a whole podcast on what it's like to go back to your high school I reunion. High school reunion, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's got an extremely impressive list of clients as a corporate, as an executive coach. You know, the big fang companies, Google, Amazon, and he's also, his writings have appeared in the Wall Street Journal and Newsweek and USA Today, Forbes, CNN. He's, he's well uh, versed and well quoted. So he's accomplished a great deal. We're going to be talking today about his book, Executive Presence. This is his latest book. He's got several others as well. Um, but Joel, why don't you just tell uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I, I've been uh, doing executive coaching work for 23 years and um, I, I really love it. I, I've been having the honor to work with some really some of the best and brightest leaders inside companies. And it's fascinating to see what you learn and the patterns you see of what's going on inside organizations. And so over the years, I've really had an opportunity to work one-on-one with some really senior executives um, throughout uh, many companies. And I also do a lot of corporate training where I go inside companies and they hire me like for an executive presence program and I do um, sometimes with 40 to 60 people to sometimes 80 people, we'll do a corporate training program around the subject of executive presence. Um, and I've written 11 books. Uh, my most recent book is Executive Presence. And it's one I'm really proud of. And I feel it has a lot to offer, a lot of information that's really valuable for uh, leaders who are struggling with not having the commanding presence that they need. Uh, that's required of them inside the work environment. And you and I spoke that this is kind of the culmination of all your years of experience, kind of if this was the Bible for executive presence and everything that you've learned and all the hours and hours of study and experience that you've had. Um, I mean, this this is it. So get this book, but you can certainly go back and look at his others as well. But this is, this is a very significant investment in... Um, Joel's sharing his, his brilliance. So um, you talk about three key executive like domains that people need to get their heads around. Uh, and one of them actually is new to me, this gravitas topic uh, subject. So maybe share a little bit about kind of the three areas and the domains that you start with. 
Yeah, so the three the three domains are so I have a three by three executive presence model. And in this model, there's three domains. There's gravitas, there's authority, and there's expression. Now under underneath gravitas, I really define it with three competencies. That's confidence, that's um, having kind of a, an assuredness about yourself. Um, you're decisive, you're willing to take risks, you really kind of state your opinion strongly. You come across as confident in your interactions. Second one is commanding. You're in command. You come across as someone who knows how to take charge of situations. And the third one is charismatic. And so you have a certain level of charisma, um, passion and and enthusiasm that comes across to others. And when you have charisma, command, and confidence, you're really coming across with a certain level of gravitas, a certain weight that you carry that others can feel your your presence. And if you are in situations or work situations, whether it's in meetings, whether it's presenting, you want to have that gravitas. People want to see that you can be in command of situations. So that's that's kind of the gravitas theme. So whether even if you're not an executive, if you're a professional speaker, there's an expectation and people can sense that right away, right? And we've seen speakers that were like, uh, not really charged with by, but then we've seen speakers who, for some reason, just capture our attention and we're in awe. Yeah, you know, it, it's to me, it's all leaders inside an organization. And I've seen people who executive directors in different organizations, C level executives, but then it could be anytime you're, you know, I've talked to people about executive presence and they're like, oh my God, I could see that relevant for my son or my my cousin or this situation they're in. And it's not always work-related. It's like when you're showing up, just your presence, are you showing up with a sense of some power, some command, some some level of strength? Um, you're not being hesitant. You're not being tentative. You're not being quiet. You're not being um, holding yourself back in some way. And so, and it's not, it's called executive presence. We could call it leadership presence. We could call it but it really is about your presence and how you're showing up and you don't have to be an executive to have it. It's really no matter where you are in your career is, am I showing up with a sense of confidence in who I am and how I'm coming across? And people can feel that people can feed off of that. People can um, recognize that you either know what you're talking about and you are exuding that, that confidence behind what you're saying and how you're saying it. So the gravitas is the first tier. The next one is authority. And with authority, so this one is about coming across as people see you and feel you as you're an authority. You come across as you're in charge. And the three competencies underneath that is you come across as decisive. You're someone who can take initiative. You move things forward. People see that you have a sense of conviction behind your ideas. Um, The next one is being bold. You're taking risks. You're willing to put a stake in the ground and really own your position. And so when you're decisive and bold, the third one is influential. You're someone who knows how to persuade people, compel them, incite them, move them towards your point of view. When you're able to be decisive, bold, and influential, you come across more of an authority. People see you as, as having that sense of authority. And then they, they rely on you more because they realize you know what you're doing because you're decisive, bold, and influential. Would you say that this is the most difficult of the three to to have? Um, 
Interesting I mean, enough, I find that the one that it, it, it can be a more difficult one to actually do because sometimes when someone is indecisive and they're not as bold and they don't like taking risks and they don't want to push the envelope and be influential, it puts them out of their comfort zone more, let's say that. And sometimes they're not as um, well-equipped or as confident behind themselves to sit there and say, okay, I'm going to make a decision here, even though I'm only 60% sure of myself. And I'm going to really be bold and take a risk here. And it's like, well, I'm a little scared to do that. So it can push it's them out of their comfort it, zone. Right? Yeah. It, yeah. It's one of those ones you can't fake it. No. Okay. The one that gets most exposed is the third column, which is expression. This okay, is the one where that. people people um, can be seen as lacking an executive presence immediately when you are lacking the expression category. And underneath expression, we have vocal, insightful, and clear. Now, vocal means you share your ideas and thoughts without hesitation. You're vocal. You speak up. At meetings, people hear your voice and your presence. It's visible. And so if you're someone who has a tendency to not be as vocal, you're a little more shy or hesitant, or you hold yourself back a bit, then your presence isn't felt as much. And so there's a lot of people out there who have a tendency to be not as vocal in meetings. And so how can you be more vocal and speak up more in meetings? And then when you do speak up, are you insightful? Are you asking good good questions? Are people uh, feeling like your ideas are being shared in ways that people are feeling either... um, they're learning from or being engaged with. And then once you're insightful, the last one is clarity. And this is all about being succinct and to the point and being clear in what you're trying to communicate, um, being straightforward and direct. You got to watch out for people who have a tendency to go way too much into the details, into the weeds and be long winded. They undermine their clarity. And that, that is one of the, of all the nine competencies, this one, you know, the lack of brevity, the lack of being clear on what your point you're trying to make is the one that actually exposes people the most of lacking an executive presence. And it really can undermine people's perception of you when you aren't as clear in the point you're trying to make and having brevity and being succinct and to the point. I think this is where you talk yourself out of the sale. Yes. Right? You yes. had the sale, but then you kept going. Right. And now you've blown it. And I, yep. I'm guilty of that. I'm, I've learned through the years that sometimes less is more and you want to let people assume what they assume. I'm not going to always correct them when they're wrong, but um, I'm not going to offer up exactly. things that otherwise would cast a doubt. Into and, and you can really lose your audience that way because in, the, in less is more, you really get to the point you're trying to make. People digest that point and then you have more credibility and respect for what you're trying to say. The longer you speak, the more you talk, the more you lose that credibility and the more people start questioning what you're trying to say and what's the point you're trying to make. Right. So you did that well with this three by three presence model where you were clear to the point. There's a lot of information in the book, but it all does come back to this being your compass, right? As an exactly. Agent. And what, what I found is what I find extremely useful is you take this three by three model and it's something you can look at yourself and you could share it with your manager. You can share it with other colleagues and you can say, Hey, I want to look at this model and I want to say, which one are my strengths and which one are my weaknesses? And really quickly within less than a minute, you or others can give you feedback that helps you identify which ones do I need to work on? 
that's a pretty simple model, which very quickly gives you an idea of like, oh, I need to work on these two competencies of the nine. And then the rest of the book, I have nine chapters, one chapter for each of the competencies that breaks down in specific ways that you can improve on that specific competency. So the, the what I found is the book is a, is a manual that allows people to go to the competency most relevant that they need to work on. And sometimes mm-hmm. that competency can shift depending on the certain circumstances of who you're interacting with and when and where. So you're interacting with a whole senior executive, C-level executive, and you're presenting to them. You might sit there and say, you know what? I need to be more influential with this group. I need to be more decisive. They need to see me as, as, as equal with them. Another situation may be with your peers. You need to become across as more commanding and more confident. So different, different people, different with clients, vendors, your peers, your subordinates, superiors, you might have different situations and circumstances, whether you're updating on a project, whether you're, you're presenting uh, a, a presentation to uh, your peers, whether it's, you're just at a meeting where you're having to, to speak up and, and make sure that you're being heard. All these different circumstances and situations, the executive presence model can kind of be tweaked based on that, which one you might need to work on. Joel, the question I had as I, I read your book and, you know, your book does this three by three and then does it again and then does it again. And you're making points as you go through the, the book. What struck me is that this advice seems to me to be for one of the personalities on a team. Because if you put, you know, 10 people in a room and they're all alphas and they all follow all of these pieces, uh, it's going to be a messy room. You, you bring up an interesting point. And I would say that, you know, there are statistics that have proven that when there's like eight people in a meeting, uh, two people out of the eight uh, do 70% of the talking. And I think generally you are always going to get two or three people who are going to dominate a meeting, dominate circumstances. There are the alphas in the room. It's rare. I find where everyone's an alpha. It's just rare you're going to get two or three that are going to dominate it. And then you get the other people who are kind of mid-tier who try to get a word in edgewise. And then you get the introverts and the ones who kind of hold back and don't speak up as much at all. I'm going to have um, to invite you to one of my CEO roundtables. So is it, is it all, all alpha? Is it all alpha? <laughs> it's, it's all, all alpha. Yeah. <laughs> all alpha all the time. So, <laughs> so I will say that if you have a situation where it's all alphas all the time, one of the challenges is how do you get a word in edgewise and how do you tone down the presence and the command and the confidence? Because now you're working with the art of influence and how do I influence in this room where everyone's trying to get a word in edgewise and everyone's trying to one up the other person and everyone's trying to show their confidence and their, and their power. And so how do you influence this group and, and what ways can you do it? What ways can you interact? What ways can you interject? How how do you garner the respect? But at the same time, you notice sometimes being a little more soft-spoken or finding the right way to interject. Other people can learn to respect you and feel like you have something to say that's worth listening to. And so how do you earn that respect in a room full of all CEOs? Well, I guess that's my point is a lot of times you see team meetings where, you know, different people bring different things to the table. And when you 
when you look at this and if you take it to the extreme and advocate across the board, you know, this is the right model, you end up with the 27 pitchers on a team. And it, and it really doesn't work like that because you need balance with, you know, the, the technical mind and the human one and the commanding one. You know, you need all these different attributes. to, And that's really what separates a business from a person. And the reason businesses always win is because it's a collection and a compromise of all those different styles. Well, Bob, one thing I think that you're bringing up is I think the art of reading the room. And when all those CEOs get together, they're, they don't have a great ability to read the room. Because if you read the room effectively, you'd find ways of how do we make sure, and, and especially most meetings, like you say, have someone with a technical expertise, someone who's more senior, someone who's more mid-level you have all these different mix coming together and trying to work together. And I think it's important for the facilitator or the more senior leader in the room to think about how do I read the room? How do I make sure the one who talks the most tempers themselves a little bit so others have more room to speak? How do the ones who don't speak very much, do I encourage them to speak more? And how do we find a balance so that we have more consensus of feedback being shared in the room so that more information and knowledge sharing is occurring versus stifling some and having only a few dominate. So being able to read that room and making sure you're encouraging participation and sometimes tempering participation. Well, I think that's my point is that it is finding that balance, not finding the extremes. And if you take it, just extrapolate it out and say, you know, the whole world follows this one model, that's, that's going to be a very difficult process. Now, I grant you without even thinking about it that you have to have, you know, people in, in almost any leadership position with commanding presence, but the, the uh, getting to the point where you have uh, too much of that can knock the team out of balance. If you've got yeah. you know, three or four and, and they lock heads because in, in, you know, in fairness to my CEO roundtables, they are, you know, a room full of alphas, but they all read the room differently and they all interact with the room differently. And so they, they, we don't have the problem that you're talking about. We've got different ones, right? we don't have that particular one. And I would say that the need for executive presence for that group is not an area that is necessarily the right audience. Like I think about women, people of color, introverts, marginalized employees, um, up-and-coming uh, leaders who are rising the organization, C-level executives who are really competent in their area of expertise but struggle with a strong power and presence. Mm-hmm. Like those audience really benefit for this model. Yep, it's not the book for everyone. You know, a company that you've done some work with, Amazon, jumped to mind because one, this would have been a great model for me to have when I went and interviewed with them a few years ago. But two, they have this Amazon, is it a six-page memo that kind of their culture requires them to sort of write out all the things that they need to do? And I think that probably allows those employees to walk in with some executive presence, whoever called the meeting. Do you want to comment about that? Yeah, I think absolutely true. I think sometimes preparing ahead of time and knowing what the agenda is about you know, a lot of times I'll tell people who go into meetings and say, they say, I struggle speaking up. I struggle getting my ver- voice heard. And I said, well, how much do you spend a couple of minutes before the meeting, um, preparing for the meeting, thinking about the agenda and bringing some of your thoughts to the surface? See, what often happens is someone gets into a meeting and they say, you know, I don't think out loud. I think internally. And so how do I get my thoughts to the surface so they're primed and ready to be shared? 
And I say, spend two or three minutes before every meeting. That's all it takes. And every leader I've ever worked with, when I tell them this, they do this and it works. Spend two or three minutes thinking about the agenda and think about a couple of areas that you can focus on and speak about. And when you do that, you then are going to have some ideas on the surface. And when it comes around that for that idea, you don't have to search very hard to find and use that idea and bring it into that meeting and share it. And then you come across as more confident in command of what you're trying to say. And then the audience actually responds positively to that. So it's one way to prime yourself and get yourself ready. Most people say, I struggle because I'm at back-to-back-to-back meetings. So how do I have time for that? But you got to make two or three minutes, either leave the meeting before the next one early and think about during the meeting, what are some thoughts I can jot down so that I am priming myself and getting myself ready to speak up more readily available when the meeting opportunity arises. Where, where in your model does the executive pull the strengths of the rest of the team into this model? I mean, I, I, I know they do it and I know that it's, it's part of the nature of it. But nowhere in here do you really talk about, you know, what's it take to pull that introvert that has the genius mind to to come up with a solution to the to the problem? How do how do you which of these attributes really digs into pulling that out of the other people, assuming that one person doesn't have all the solutions? Yeah, you know, one thing I, I tried to do and I at the you know, with the nine different competencies, each one of my chapters towards the end of a, every chapter dedicated to the nine competencies. I, I switched it and made it from here's what you need to do to build the, your uh, development in that competency. I then talked about here's what you do if you have an employee who has this as an issue. And so I, I tried to talk to that right. point in that if you have employees who are struggling with some of these competencies, here's how you develop them and look for. And I think it's important as senior executives inside a company, identifying the ones who lack the executive presence, pulling them aside and saying, how can I help you with these certain competencies so that they can get better at that? If they're coming across as more tentative, hesitant, unsure, and indecisive, and how can they become more decisive? How can they be make up their mind more quickly and arrive at a clear decision and, and get to the, so that others are seeing that they do are coming across as having a leadership competency of being decisive when that's looked at as something that's valuable. Well, and I'd even say that some of these are probably brought about in the individual because of some adversity they faced or something they went through in their in their growth. But a lot of us haven't been hit with that moment where we have to sort of realize, oh my God, this is life or death. Like you're almost in some way creating this understanding or appreciation of the importance of this without having to go through some of the, you know, pain that I'm sure executives have had to deal with to establish themselves that if I'm not, if I don't have this executive presence, I'm going to get eaten alive or I'm not going to raise the funding to keep my company going. And absolutely, especially, you know, when things are on the line like that, it's hard to show up with that power and presence when you're fearful about what might happen. And so how do I show up with confidence when I'm feeling the fear or I'm Mm -hmm. feeling intimidated or, or I'm worried about what my investors and how they might react? Or I'm worried about how these senior executives are going to react to me if I speak up and come across as confident, will I be challenging their authority? You know, and that leads to sometimes I've had a lot of people uh, who've been in um, 
and I've lived in Asia, I worked in Asia, but I've had leaders I've coached who have been from India and Asia. And it's interesting because their culture is one where you, you value um, having a sense of um, respect for elders and, and you, you, you don't challenge people from a position of authority and you have, you value a, a humility. And I've seen that the executive presence model can be challenging for them to adopt. But what I try to show them is just because of your culture or even your personality, but mainly the culture is not let that get in the way of you still recognizing how do I with respectfully um, not give my power away to someone in a more senior position, just because that's been what I've been taught. Because as I do that, I then give, I then put myself in a position where I am not holding my own sense of power and my own sense of presence in situations. And so I've seen, I have a leader who's works for a biotech industry company and she's in a meeting and her senior boss will text her and say, this is where you need to speak up. This is where you need to talk. This is where you need to do this. And I talked to her later, both her and her boss. And it's like, well, I don't want to overstep my boss. I don't want to uh, say something that's that's overstepping my position. To make him look bad, right? Make him look bad, exactly. And the, and instead, the, the, her manager say, "No, I need to hear from you. You're there at that meeting for a reason. I need to hear your presence. I need Down. to hear you speak up. I need to hear your expertise. Don't hold back." Um, and so it's just interesting seeing that dynamic play itself out because because of the culture, they their confidence, their command, their charisma, it all gets tempered. And they don't let their true power show up with all of what their knowledge is and their expertise because they're trying to adopt to a situation based on a cultural um, influence. When, when you're applying this concept to teams and, and every person has a various combination of skill levels in, in these areas, and they are either native skills or they are learned skills, but everybody's got some combination of these processes. How, how do you advise people to balance a team so that you're hiring in the people that, are, that have the native skills and the strengths that you're missing? Or, or is this always individual? Is this also a team concept? You know, I, I mostly use it as an individual concept. Um, I think it could be applied to a team concept. I mean, it goes back to looking at, you know, your team and, and evaluating the executive presence for the team. You could you could do that and apply that and say, you know, are we weighted too much as a team, too much confidence, too much command, and too many people are dominating the meeting, for example, or are people not as vocal, not as insightful? And they're not as bold and, and influential. And so they're a little bit holding themselves back a bit. Um, how, do we, how do we find the right balance? I think with a, with a team, sometimes as a facilitator of the team, as a leader, you got to be aware of how do I make sure that the confident individuals who are really promoting and speaking themselves a lot, how do I pull them aside and say, hey, I want you to read the room and I want you to be aware of how do we get, how do we make sure we get people involved who aren't involved and how do we make sure that you're not dominating the meeting and so finding that balance i think is important and pulling the people aside who are more quiet and getting them to speak up more so you think about a team environment 
how do you balance that executive presence so there's a kind of a medium operating so you're maximizing people's voice and you're maximizing people's input that's going to elevate the learning and the knowledge being shared in a meeting i think you would have been a very valuable resource for hp when they merged with compact because i saw firsthand mm-hmm. how hp was just annihilated by compact because they had such a forceful culture and hp had such a reserved kind of mm-hmm. you know easy going or just you don't yeah. they just didn't have executive presence so they got eight and alive i was on the hp team compact just ate our lunch and it was sad i mean they hate Carly Fioni because she just annihilated that culture of HP. But, you know, she, Carly has executive presence. Let's be honest. She's probably yeah. the definitive of that. Like her a hater, she gets things done. I mean, you bring, it's a great example where I find that there's the executive presence continuum. And so do you want to be too aggressive, too arrogant? You know, there's a certain degree where that culture works. And I can name other tech companies where that is a common culture. And then you get other cultures where they might be more of a, and I've worked with a lot of companies in the Midwest and they're really too nice culture. And that too nice culture can be ineffective and be more of a pushover and they need more executive presence. And so culture of a company can have impact. And, and so I think it's a, it's a good point you bring up. And that's why this executive presence model may not be for some companies, some cultures, and even some individuals, they might have too much executive presence. But I also find that one thing I mentioned in the book is I talk about speaking down instead of speaking up. And that speaking down means the idea for the ones who dominate meetings and are too aggressive and too confident, and they, and they just constantly are the ones who always have to be in charge and always have to be the one dominating everything. They need to speak down, meaning speak less. They need to tone it down. They need to know how to manage that presence and uh, recognize that they have to look more at reading the room and reading situations and try not to let their most dominating self uh, be in command of everything. Because all you do is you walk over everyone and everything, and then you're not bringing people along with you. And we've and all worked for those companies, right? That yeah. where we've worked in those teams where it just somebody continues to do that. And guess what? There's a lot of turnover in those teams. A lot of turnover. And hopefully at some point feedback gets delivered back to that leader, but sometimes it doesn't because a lot of the C level executives I coach, sometimes they're the ones who are the most arrogant, most confident, and most result driven. And because of that, they get promoted. And at some point, a coach comes along where it's like, well, we are going to do a 360 and we're going to evaluate how well you're doing. And that feedback comes back and that person's really shocked by the feedback mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do with it because they've never received it before. Or if they did, they kind of just ignored it because their performance and their success has been defined by the results, not by the, how they treated people and, and, and kind of the weight they left behind them. You know, there's a boss I had that that nails that to the T. I mean, she pretty much, yeah. And she, nobody wanted to work for her, but she was getting results. And the boss just at the top, he just wanted results. Like that was his most important thing and annihilated this culture. Anyway, it was, it well, became a very Steve toxic Jobs model. Yeah. I mean, right? that, that, he's the, he's the yeah. alpha of this. And, and it's too <laughs> bad because on some levels, Steve Jobs got away with it because of his brilliance. And then they wrote about it as something to be valued, but it was to an extreme and anything to an extreme, you know, can be dangerous. 
and and there's people who tolerated that behavior because it was Steve Jobs. But there's other situations where people struggle to tolerate it, but they need a job and they struggle to work for that person. And it's how, how do you balance that? But those those type of leaders are tough to work for um, and they can be very humbling. Well, and this I love your insight on this because the Amazon culture that encourages conflict. So if you've gone through an Amazon review, you know, uh, interview and understand about their values, you understand that conflict is a good thing. And actually, I have one of my clients who talks about why conflict is a good thing for a company, because it, it, you have to challenge your peers to, to produce the best results for the company. But um, what are your thoughts on how the Silicon Valley and a lot of these companies are really embracing this model of conflict? And is it is it being done properly? Um. Conflict is value because it creates friction and friction is value because it can create attention that can generate opportunities and um, people get that people get fed by that. And I think especially if you get a type of personality that feeds off the conflict, likes conflict, wants to go to battle, wants to go toe to toe, wants the, the, the challenge and the, and the, the the roughness and and let's get dirty come on let's bring it on let's go and they feed off it and i think that it it seems like it works well the downside is if you get someone who likes the conflict also then you have two people who are butting heads and sometimes that can work because the tension can create a type of tension that can produce results and so you think it's working well what i'd be concerned about is when you get someone who doesn't like conflict. And there's a good contingency out there of employees who don't like conflict. And I would say that in my opinion, there's more people out there who don't like conflict. I'd say probably it's about 80% than the 20% who do like conflict. And the challenge you have with ones who don't like conflict is they don't necessarily tell you about that. Their, Their tendency if they don't like conflict is to withdraw, is to avoid a situation. And so you're in this conflictual battle and then this person withdraws. And so you just won. And the other person who's withdrawing is withdrawing because they don't like conflict and that's their way of handling it. And so you think it's resolved, but it's basically one person won and the other person's withdrawing and that's how it's resolved. And so you're losing people's engagement and motivation and morale. There's a second argument to that though, because conflict a lot of times and I'm going to change the word conflict to competition because mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily conflict, but competition brings the best out of a lot of people. And without it, a lot of people, especially those that withdraw are, have a tendency to not contribute, be complacent, be complacent. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the old adage of, you know, tough times build strong people, strong people build good times and good times build weak people. Mm-hmm. And, and then the cycle repeats. And, and I, I think that that's the issue that I look at is, is I like conflict within professional management boundaries. Within mm-hmm. limits. Yeah. Right. W- within balance, it, I think that, that conflict is good because no one really ever won anything worthwhile competing against nobody. Because <laughs> if nobody else wanted it, it probably wasn't worthwhile. Well, I mean, I think you bring up a point around conflict and competition and like, how do we get the best out of each other? And sometimes to be pushed 
can be a valuable thing because it's like, how, how much am I being pushed out of my comfort zone? And sometimes that competition or that kind of competitive nature um, can push people to go beyond what they think they're capable of. And in that regard, you're getting more out of people. And that can be a beneficial thing to kind of excelling the success you're trying to create in a company or yeah. in a group. Yeah, because most of my experience is in the small business realm, not the larger ones like yours. But I find that that if you have a maker, a marketer, and a manager, they are in natural conflict with each other because their goals are different. And and but you need those three pieces to build a business. You can't mm-hmm. build a business with any one of those pieces. That's why when you look at at entrepreneurial stories like Jobs or Gates or any any of them, uh, and you dig back far enough past the media hype into the actual story, uh, there's always a team back there. Mm-hmm. Every every one of them has a team back there. I'm convinced no one's ever built a business by themselves. If they have, I haven't observed it. I've seen people build a job for themselves, yes. never a business for themselves. No, I think you're right on. I think that's true. And, and I think that that it is that natural conflict. And, and each of them have different mixes of your model here. Right. You, you know, the, the maker is more concerned with the quality of the product or service being provided, where the marketer is out bringing new business in and bringing conflict from the market back to the maker who doesn't like it because it disrupts his quality. And then the manager comes in to organize the chaos that's laid over the top of that. And, and so it needs a balance of those three to be able to work. And it's kind of a magic thing. It's interesting when you bring it up, I think about like the maker might need to work on the executive presence competency of being vocal and insightful and clear, especially vocal, because they they have to they have to they have something that they've made and that they believe in, and then they have to use the influence to persuade people, and they need to be vocal about it. The marketer needs to be really clear because they can be maybe a little more long winded and and really good at articulating why it's a value added, but can they really say less is more and get to the point and what they're what they're trying to really communicate. So like each one, I could see a little bit of the competencies playing itself out with some of the things you just mentioned about small business, small businesses. Yeah. And it's just different balances of the same model. Yeah, I agree. For yeah. each, each of the functions. Well, and Joel, I would say that when I saw it, looked at this, I've been looking at this more and more that this is a really good set of values for a business to have, like understanding these are our core values and it's going to help us dominate or win in the marketplace or just bring more value to the marketplace. I think these are good to come back to because if you're, and maybe the word executive presence isn't hooking me, but there's definitely other ways to describe what it is. Um, Especially if you see executives in a negative light. I mean, let's just be honest. There's a lot of us who there's a black, the cover, the cover of your book is black. I mean, (laughs) even this yellow, it just screams uh, executive all over it. And some of us don't really have respect for that. Role I mean, that's why I think even using the phrase leadership presence is another way of describing right. it. And, and it probably tones it down a bit in the way that you're describing it. Because I think everyone, all leaders can use a certain degree of presence. And so that's what we're talking about here, um, right. I think, is another way to look at it. I think that and yeah. that to readers, that would be one of my core messages is that get past that. If you have any hang ups with executives and attitudes and egos because there's people that have taken this too far and that's not what Joel is trying to uh, create here with this society. I mean, you want balanced leaders 
to command presence and get move things forward but at the same time, read the room, as you said, listen to the needs of others. Don't just railroad people and get whatever you want. I mean, Steve Jobs was not a good example. No. Elon Musk is not a good example. No. Donald Trump is a horrible example. We've got all these people who have, quote, executive presence, but we do not respect them. And they have very big egos. And, you know, I wrote the book, one of the audiences I most, you know, I've done a lot of presentations over the years. And when I'm doing presentations and part of this data of this, these nine competencies comes from me having to talk to and, and do research with over 7,500 workshop participants. In all these workshops I do, I always ask, how many of you raise your hand? Are you, are you introverts? And, and to my surprise in the beginning, but over time, it became less of a surprise, 85% of a room raised their hand as relating to being an introvert. Now, were they on the extreme spectrum? No, but they were in the middle, but they related to it. 85%, which is incredibly high. And so I have a number of introverts that exist. <laughs> and, and, but I think about that and I look at my book and my book isn't for the Elon Musk types and isn't for the, the Steve Jobs types. It's more for the introverted ones who are holding themselves back and aren't having as much stepping into their power and having as much confidence and radiating that, that level of confidence and leading with a sense of conviction. I encourage that, that behavior. And I find that the introverts who read this find it to be incredibly helpful because it, the model really does pick up all the areas that they need to lean into more that would make them a more engaged, fulfilled, uh, reaching more of their potential in their work environment. And I like the bumblebee colors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, 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 it is. And he just said it was for the worker bees. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> no, but I think that that's, you hit on some really important parts and, that I think someone who is more of an introvert or thinks of themselves this way is going to see that once they step outside of that, that they can be so much more powerful and so much more life can be so much more fulfilling. And when you can get your ideas across, right, that's how you move things forward. I think of all the great ideas that never get off the ground. And this it's is a true. large part of it, right? I mean, it's, it's not necessarily, I mean, there's, there's these great ideas and people, uh, can execute on them. And this is probably one of the differentiators of what makes a difference between these companies that take the same idea and take it off, you know, can it explode it. I think most recently this phenomenon of the Stanley cup, right. Uh, that everybody's has just gone crazy. You know, Yeti used to be the, the cup of choice. Now it's the Stanley. Uh, is it, it's, it's, have you heard about that? Basically it's just gone insane, mm. but this cup and, it's a cup that keeps your water cold or your coffee hot. And they've been doing it for years, but something happened where actually they had an influencer, someone with authority came out and started to really say how much they love this cup. And it was like <laughs> transformation. And now you can't buy them anymore. It's interesting. Insane. So, yeah, no, I think you brought up the idea of introverts have great ideas and they do. And I think it's about introverts learning how to stop, stop self-censoring themselves and learning how to participate during meetings and speaking up and putting themselves out there and letting some of their enthusiasm come across um, so that, and, and so that they can come across as someone who can be a little more bold and influential when they do that, other leaders take notice of them. And when they do that, then more of their power and presence is being utilized in the work environment. They feel more engaged. They get more promote promotability. 
and organizations get to leverage more of their talent. And so much of that is necessary. So much I see people, I work with scientists, engineers, IT people, people who tend to, tendency to be a little more on the introverted side. And so that they have this incredible knowledge and expertise uh, that they can learn how to have more of a leadership presence to go along with that. It gives them more opportunities to, to be utilized inside a work environment. Um, and so that they're projecting more conviction and inserting their opinions and leading with more gravitas, let's say. Well, or as Bob would say, you know, one of his missions is you want to build a job or build a business. This may be the differentiator right here, executive presence. Like if you do not have this, you will continue to be stuck in a job. And maybe that's fine for you. But if you want to build a business, you're going to have to learn to step out of your role as an employee to become an employer. And it's a huge shift for people. And it's going to put you into these uncomfortable situations that you sort of maybe have been shying away from all this time, but you can no longer get away with that at some point in your life. Yeah. And I, I think, and it's the same thing that people in engineering, research, IT, science, they, they have a technical proficiency that um, is really, really beneficial and they get rewarded and recognized and good reviews based on that, but they might lack a presence to lead at a certain high level. And there's situations they're put into where they need to command the room. They need to show up with more confidence. And so they can't just rely on their research skills or the scientific expertise. And I see it over and over again, where too often scientists and biotech companies are being underutilized, underdeveloped, not, and, not, and undervalued. And, and so this is an opportunity I find that when they start to try on the executive presence model, they start to feel like they're being less underutilized and they're being more valued and they're being able to speak up more and be more vocal. And other people are starting to recognize um, their presence and their power beyond just their expertise. Excellent. So the book we've been talking about is Executive Presence, Step Into Your Power, Convey Confidence, and Lead with Conviction by Joel Garfinkel. Joel, why don't you share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you, how they can get a hold of the book? The book you can get on Amazon, uh, Executive Presence. The subtitle is Step Into Your Power, Convey Confidence, and Lead with Conviction. Um, you can get it at Amazon. And um, my website, Garfinkel Executive Presence, I mean, sorry, <laughs> GarfinkelExecutiveCoaching.com. Um, GarfinkelExecutiveCoaching.com has over 300 articles uh, that are free. I have about 25 articles specifically on executive presence if you're interested specifically in that subject matter. Um, but a lot of free content on the website. Reach out to me if you have any questions or comments or want to learn more about what I do and, and how I do it. You can reach me um, at my email address is joel at GarfinkelExecutiveCoaching.com. Excellent. Well, I really, really appreciate your time today, Joel. I think it's a great book. I wanted to mention too, that Dan Pink even gave it an endorsement. So kudos to Joel for getting uh, an endorsement from Dan Pink, which says quite a bit because he's a pretty impressive man. But Bob, thank you for your time today. Any last questions for Joel? None none at all. I think that Joel's book might be a good referral over to our, our prior tech read, which was, you know, how PhDs should operate in business. Oh, yes, okay. our, our attorney. Yeah, my, <laughs> my friend David Giltner. We talked about a lot of that, um, and we we were talking a lot about failure and how to overcome. So you like, want to take these two books and kind of yeah, yeah, and it, it was all about um, you know seeing life, seeing all this as a game, not taking it so seriously. He reframed my my perspective of the game. 
yeah. of, of business. Yeah. And I thought it was just brilliant because I you don't have to shy away from it. When you know it's just a game, you're not going to be so... But these are the skills you have to have to play the game. To win the game. That's exactly. (laughs) Now I get it. So if you want to win the game of business. You need to read two books. Okay. Now to play the game and the skills to do the game. Yeah, that's good. Nice. Well, great connecting with both of you. I appreciate the questions and having the dialogue. It was a good conversation. All right. Until next time, for the listeners, if you want to catch more of these podcasts, just head to softtech.org. That's S-O-F-T-E-C dot O-R-G and follow the link to Tech Reads and You'll get to hear more brilliant minds like Joel's. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Joel. See you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tech Reads, sponsored by SoftTech. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. If you have comments, questions, or want to suggest an author for a future episode, visit SoftTech at softec.org and click on the Tech Reads link.